Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. My name's Rick Zamprin. Hamilton's Three Community Fridges is asking for more donations and volunteers. A medicine by design investigator gives us his thoughts on Pfizer's COVID-19 vaccine for children aged 5 and 11. And we break down the federal election results with a host of guests, including Global News Chief Political Correspondent David Aiken. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast starts now. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamprin on 900 CHML. Community Fridges Hamont opened its first volunteer-run fridge in March at 44 Greendale Drive. That's near Garth and the Link in the Gilkson neighborhood on the West Mountain. Another fridge opened in the Lower City in June. It's located at the Merritt Brewing Warehouse at 249 John Street North, just south of Barton Street East in the Beasley neighborhood. And the group has also opened one in the Crown Point neighborhood at 204 Ottawa Street North. These are a great addition to the city, but there is an issue that needs to be addressed, and that's the need for donations. Kelly Toe is one of the volunteer coordinators at Community Fridges Hammonds and joins us now. Kelly, good morning. Good morning. How's it going? Not too bad. Yourself? Good, good. Thank good. You. So we need donations. What is most needed right now? So right now at the Community Fridges, we always need one man hours. So we would love to have more volunteers sign up and support us. We are an entirely volunteer run and volunteer maintained um, mutual aid effort. So as always, if you have helping hands, please sign up and support us. Otherwise, a thing that is always needed, all the fridges is a consistent restock for food. Fresh produce, bread, pre-made meals are always welcome at the community fridge and pantries um, across Hamilton. Okay, well, let's start with the volunteers. What is needed of the volunteer and uh, and how do they contact you? Sure. So we essentially have uh, volunteers check on the fridges at two to three times daily. And what we do as a volunteer is disinfect, clean out, and remove any discouraged items such as raw meats um, and inspired foods. Uh, Volunteers can contact us through our various social medias. Um, For example, we're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at our handle, which is at CF underscore Hammond. And you can do a quick Google, which is, you know, Community Fridges um, Hammond. Essentially. Okay, I, I know that you know volunteering mm-hmm. hours is a mm-hmm. part of the uh, you know uh, high school curriculum in order to get a diploma. Are you looking for high school students? Are they well suited for this? Yes, absolutely. High school students are are definitely well suited for this effort. Um, we've seen families also go come together to um, and take their children on the way to school to clean the fridge and maintain the fridge. You know, as they go to work as, as well. So anyone can really sign up and support us if they're available. We're chatting with Kelly Till, one of the volunteer coordinators at Community Fridges Ham Aunt here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. So how do, the frid- how do these fridges work? Tell it, take us through the process of uh, how people access them. Sure. So the fridges are open 24-7 for the community. The, the community of fridges itself is a shelter that contains a refrigerator and a built-in pantry. So within the refrigerator, we host obviously foods that need to be kept cold. So fresh fruits, uh, veggies, frozen meals, and in the pantry we host uh, canned goods as well as menstrual products and other sanitary products like toothpaste, uh, shampoo, and of course dry goods that you would find in any other anyone else. Sorry, dry goods you would find in any other pantry such as pasta or breads. 
how do you handle best before dates? Because I know some people are, you know, they, they follow those to the T, and some people are like, yeah, you know, this milk's okay or this sour cream's all right. How, how do you guys mm-hmm. uh, steer around uh, the best before date issue? Mm-hmm. So we have to be compliant with public health. So we do encourage people to not donate things that are expired so that we don't have to make that judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially, you know, if something is, for example, a pasta that's maybe a week expired, we'll still take that. But I've seen cans from the Harper administration, and I won't tell you what election that's from. So, <laughs> so please, please do not donate <laughs> expired foods. Oh, that, that, I, I shouldn't laugh, but I, I can see someone doing that. that that's pretty funny. Where did, where did the idea for the community fridges come from? The community fridges was started by our the coordinator, Jacqueline. Uh, they noticed that their fridge is popping up in Toronto, and so they thought it'd be a great idea to start this um, initiative in Hamilton simply. And it started really with um, discussions with Today Family Learning, uh, Learning and Child Care Center um, at 44 Greendale. Um, the community fridges isn't a new movement. They're, I believe they've been started in the States um, as well, and there are other community fridges in other municipalities across Ontario. So the community fridges, you know, really is an outcry for the need for mutual aid and and a direct way to address uh, community food insecurity. Um, I think just in general, seeing what's come out of the pandemic, especially with people in precarious employment, uh, food insecurity has been an all-time high. In order to really connect with the community, having something such as Community Fridge, which is a low-access barrier resource that's open 24-7, can really bring the community together, uh, foster that kind of social impact and need for mutual aid, and also address food insecurity at a time when we need to be distant. I think this is, sorry. <laughs> I was going to say very much of that. That was well said, and it's an important part of this community. Uh, really quick, because we're running out of time here, will more community fridges be popping up in Hamilton? We hope so. Right now, there's only so many of us, and we can only maintain so many fridges. So if anyone else would like to open a fridge in their community, we definitely encourage you to do so. We have resources available. Um, you can contact us on how we kind of started the fridges. Great stuff. Uh, Kelly, really appreciate the time. Good luck with the community fridges and hopefully some more donations and volunteers step forward. Thanks for the time today. Of course. Thank you so much. Thanks again to uh, Kelly. Yeah, this is a, a very unique initiative, and so much so. Um, you know, I was chatting with my son at the dinner table the other night because he still needs some volunteer hours for his uh, high school education. Uh, you know, he... To get your diploma now, you need at least, now it's 20. I mean, it used to be 40, but they cut it down to 20. And he still needs some hours. Uh, So uh, he's quite interested in volunteering with the uh, community fridges Hamilton. So uh, that'll be an interesting um, scenario in terms of volunteering and seeing what they have and what kind of donations they need. And uh, maybe sometime down the road we'll provide an update. Bring Kelly on or someone else with uh, community fridges Hamont onto the show. Wake up with the information you need to get the most out of your day. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. They had uh, just over 2,200 kids age 5 to 11 enrolled in a clinical trial. Uh, They were vaccinated with a much lower dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. They got two doses of this separated by 21 days. And uh, they said that this was safe. There there were no safety signals and that the children had a, they mounted a very significant uh, immune response. That is infectious disease specialist. Dr. Isaac Bogosh giving his thoughts on Pfizer's new COVID-19 vaccine for children aged 5 to 11. This is big news for parents and, of course, big news for children 
in that age demographic. Now, there's no word yet when Pfizer will apply for approval and authorization from Health Canada. We are being told that they are doing so in the United States. Uh, Dr. Omar Khan is an assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology with the University of Toronto and a medicine by design investigator and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Dr. Khan, good morning. Hi, Rick. How are you? I'm not too bad. Yourself? Good. Excellent. This is a big development in the fight against COVID-19, isn't it? It is. It's really big, and not just from the perspective of Canada, but also the world. These clinical trials are super important because it helps places like the World Health Organization grant a more extended license for its use so that everyone all over the world can have access from six months and up, and, and that's good for the fight. Will this get us to herd immunity? Well, a significant amount of the population around the world is under 12, so it would be important to help fight by having everyone vaccinated. Now, remember, with vaccination, you can overcome this infection much more easily. You clear the virus. If you've cleared the virus, it's out of your system. It can't replicate, which means it can't evolve. And that slows down evolution of the virus and keeps our current vaccines effective for longer. And if it can't evolve, we're not going to see new or at least as many new variants down the road, right? That's the hope. Again, we can never stop evolution, but we can slow it down. And that's the hope here. So as we all know that some people are dead set against vaccines, others waited a while before getting their shots. When it comes to vaccinating our children, I envision those people won't likely be of a different mindset. But but should they should they be getting their children vaccinated? Honestly, vaccination is nothing to be concerned about. I think a lot of people kind of don't know this, but all of your antibodies are kind of randomly pre-generated in your body. It's only when you're either vaccinated or exposed to the virus that your immune system tries to match up the virus with your pre-made antibodies. So everything's already in there, ready to go. We're just saving you the chance of, you know, needing to be infected and getting very sick. So from that perspective, it, it doesn't really seem like it should be an issue because, in fact, we're just saving a lot of suffering. Our guest this morning is Dr. Omar Khan, Assistant Professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology with the University of Toronto and a Medical by Design Investigator. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. We're being told that kids will receive about a third of an adult dose and that they will also need two shots, just like us older folk. Will children respond differently to this vaccine compared to adults? Part of any clinical trial is figuring out what the right dose is. And for adults, we've done that with those old, older clinical trials. But when it comes to kids, there's just less of them. They're smaller people, and they might not need as much. And that's fine. You, you try to have it scaled so it's somewhat in proportion. And the fact that they have looked at these lower doses and saw a same level of response is, is really good news. So that, you know, all of the data... So far that Pfizer says they have seen is that it does create a good level of antibodies and that those are all good signs. From what I understand as well, the clinical trials recorded fewer side effects in children like sore arms, uh, body aches, fever, which is also good news for kids and probably their parents as well. Yeah, and I think that as kids are pretty tough. <laughs> so that's another part of it. And we have to remember that as you get older, your immune system just starts running out of steam. And just like people's hair gets gray, people's immune system slows down. 
with kids, they have a, you know, better working immune system. So that plus vaccination can really mean a big, big difference. When is that immune system at its peak? What, what age does that change? I know it's probably different for, for a lot of people. Yeah, it actually depends on a lot of things on your general health condition. But as you kind of get old, older and you start, you know, the, generally the older you get, the worse it is. And But to be honest, it, it's good that kids are vaccinated. One of the problems we're having is if kids are unvaccinated, they can still carry and transmit the virus. And if that goes to an older person, their risks are just higher in general, regardless of vaccination or not. If older people are vaccinated, they have a much better chance. And if they're unvaccinated, even worse. So this just helps prevent breakthrough infections in older people by having kids clear the infections and not spread it. Has the Delta variant changed anything in terms of uh, our kids getting infected? Absolutely. Delta is spreads much more easily, and, and that's the, one of the biggest challenges we have. So in the under-12s, we have an enormous reservoir of virus. So if you look at the cases of COVID-19, you know, children under 12 are making up one of the dominant groups of people who carry this. And, and while that just means that they are the source of infection for a lot of people as well. Uh, yeah, obviously, if uh, if they're in school or if they're in uh, daycare and, you know, they're passing it along to adults, especially those who are unvaccinated, then obviously we have, you know, a bigger issue to tackle. Uh, Dr. Khan, really appreciate the time this morning. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Have a good one. You too. Dr. Omar Khan is an assistant professor with the Institute of Biomedical Engineering and Department of Immunology with the University of Toronto and a medical by design investigator. Pfizer studied the lower dose, so a third of the dose, in 2200 uh, and 68 kindergartners and elementary school-aged kids. So those kids basically 5 to 11. Uh, the study is ongoing, um, and there isn't a large enough amount to detect an extremely rare side effect at this point, uh, which is good news. Moderna, by the way, also studying its shots in elementary school-aged children. So hopefully in the next few weeks or a couple of months, we could see this uh, vaccine rolled out. As right now, it's under uh, the um, the eyes of the FDA in the U.S. It'll be up for approval uh, before those at Health Canada very, very soon, and hopefully uh, soon into the arms of our children. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. In the months ahead, as Mr. Trudeau gears up for yet another election, we must continue this journey to welcoming more Canadians to, na- to take another look at our party. More people voted for Canada's Conservatives than any other party, and that's a strength to build on. That is Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole, who says he plans to stay on and fight the Liberals in the next election, which he expects will happen in two years. Can you imagine being back in this exact same spot two years from now? I mean, we were just here two years ago. Our next guest is Andrea Perella, Associate Professor, Director, Laurier Institute for the Study of Public Opinion and Policy at Wilfrid Laurier University, and joins us now. Andrea, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Doing well. Well, two years after the last election and $600 million later, nothing's really changed in the House of Commons. What do you make of last night's results? Well, it was a bit like a, a tight tug of war where there's not much movement. I don't know if you've seen competitive tug of wars where there are these two teams and they're equally matched almost and nothing moves. Uh, a little inch here, a little inch there, and that's pretty much what we saw. So the, today's result or last night's result 
is pretty much identical to two years ago. So we're, 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 we're back where we were. Uh, PM-elect Justin Trudeau didn't get his majority, but he is celebrating a new mandate with one more seat compared to 2019. Should this be seen as a victory for the Liberals? You know, he never publicly stated that he's looking for a majority. I'm sure that's exactly what he wanted. Uh, we all we all recognize that, but I, he never publicly stated that. So he said he was he was going to Canadians because they did not um, elect him originally to handle a pandemic. So let's go back to see how we're doing. Almost almost like a, 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 he's looking for some feedback. Um, so the result matches with that when you match it up with that public statement gives them a way to say, well, all right, then, I guess we're doing okay, so we'll just carry on. Um, I, with his, his inner circle may have a different opinion of that, but he never publicly stated he was looking for a majority, even though we all know he privately wanted that. So in a way, he publicly can state that he won. Privately, I'm not too sure. On the flip side, more was expected of Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole and his party. Will will the PCs consider a leadership change? You know, I'm not too sure about that. Um, I, I, of the two leaders, I always thought that Aaron O'Toole was the more vulnerable. Um, he'd, he'd better deliver the goods otherwise. But I think strategically, his attempt to move the party closer to the center was a, a, a good idea because he may lose a couple of seats in the prairies. He may even lose like five or six seats in Alberta and the prairies. But that move may net him 15, 20, 30 seats in Ontario and Quebec, uh, and other parts uh, of the of Canada that are not necessarily warm to a harder right version of the Conservatives. So I thought that was a good strategic move. What what I think dogged him was the whole question about uh, his MPs not publicly stating about about their vaccination status or or not requiring that. And I think he was fearful of the PPC grabbing votes away. Um, so tactically, there were some some judgment calls that I think were, 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 were not to his benefit. Um, but again, I don't know what's going on within the conservative inner circle. Well, what do people say when the doors are closed? Uh, I don't know. But I think he his vision is more likely to lead to a conservative victory next time around if, again, if, he, if, he, if the tactical game avoids these little issues that would draw some voters away to, to the PPC. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh uh, still holds some weight in Parliament and is expected to prop up the Liberals here and there. Has, has this election, however, damaged the relationship between the New Democrats and the Liberals? Well, there's never really that much damage that you can cause. They, 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 they do depend on each other. Uh, the Liberals depend on some parliamentary partners here. And sometimes it could be the Conservatives, but the, I would imagine more frequently it will be the NDP. And the NDP needs to say something. It needs to say the reason why you have child care, the reason why you have, let's assume, you know, let's, let's imagine that pharma care rolls out. The reason you have all these wonderful things is because we, we, we put uh, Justin Trudeau's far, uh, feet to the fire. Uh, and this has been a, an NDP approach for decades, saying a lot of the wonderful things you like about Canada was brought to you thanks to pressure from the NDP during a minority government. So they kind of need each other. Even though in the campaign they may be competitors, 
privately, they, they function, they, they recognize that they need each other in order to survive. Yeah, that relationship is going to be interesting to watch in the uh, certainly the weeks and uh, the months and hopefully the years uh, to come. We will keep an eye on that. Andrea Perella, thanks for the time this morning. Enjoy your day. My pleasure. You too. Andrea Perella is an associate professor at Wilfrid Laurier University giving us his thoughts on the election campaign and last night's election results. We're going to have a lot more election talk coming up. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 we fought to make sure people got more help. We fought to increase the CERB. We fought to increase the wage subsidy. We saved millions of jobs. And we helped millions of Canadians stay at home. We are going to continue fighting for you. Just the same way we fought for you in the pandemic. You can count on us to continue those fights. That is the voice of NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, who says he plans to stay on as party leader to continue fighting for things he campaigned for in the federal election. The NDP won two dozen seats in last night's votes. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. My name's Rick Samprin. Thanks for tuning in today, whether you're listening on your radio, online at 900 CHML, the Radio Player Canada app, your favorite smart home device, or smart device at home, uh, one or the other. Uh, we are pleased to be joined by Conservative Dan Muse, who has won the seat for Flamborough-Glanbrook under the Conservative banner, uh, following the departure of uh, fellow Conservative David Sweet. Dan, good morning and congratulations. Good morning, Rick. How does it feel? It feels great, and, uh, you know, it's, it's an honor to serve the communities where I grew up and uh, where I live, and look forward to uh, working be- on behalf of everyone in Flamborough-Lambrook and, uh, and the greater city of Hamilton. Looking back to when you were a child, did you ever think you would be representing Canadians in the House of Commons? I don't think so. So this, is a, this has a, been a great uh, journey, and I'm great, glad to have the support of an incredible team and my wife and uh, family and friends and look forward to, to all the next steps. Why make the jump into politics? What, what's dragged you into this arena? Good question. And I think we've all uh, gone through, uh, you know, some very serious times in the last 18 months. Um, you know, I've, I've done uh, 20 years in the private sector. I've been involved in politics for a number of years at, at the different levels, federal, provincial. And, and to me, you know, given what's gone on, and the very serious challenges that we're facing, the economic headwinds that we see, inflation on the rise. You know, I think I think now is the time to jump in and not stand on the sidelines because uh, there's, um, you know, all these things need to be addressed. Uh, looking forward for the future of our country, and and I love Canada. I love this part of of Canada. We're 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 blessed to live in the Hamilton area, where we're the city of waterfalls. We're surrounded by uh, all this uh, beauty of the of the Niagara Escarpment and, the, and the, the trail systems. So, you know, I think it's worth fighting for, and that's why I jumped in. You're going to be one of 338 voices in Parliament. What do you hope to achieve in Ottawa? Well, I, I think there's a number of issues that uh, I heard at the thousands of doors that we knocked on over the course of the past uh, five weeks. Um, you know, homeowners are squeezed, um, especially those that have that have bought a host, house more recently. We know... Uh, Housing affordability is a huge issue, uh, but but they're also looking at gas prices, grocery prices are up, so that's an issue. Uh, I live out in the rural part of uh, of our great city, and uh, internet is spotty. And given uh, what's happened in the last uh, eighteen months, and the need to be uh, connected, wh- whether that's for work or or school or life, um, that's a huge issue, and 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 it, and it's something that we need to work on. So those those are those are just a couple of the things. 
We're chatting with Flamborough Glanbrook Conservative MP-elect Dan Muse here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Uh, those are uh, two admirable causes for sure. Do you have a main priority as we continue to fight during this pandemic and, and trying to get us out of this pandemic? Sure. We, we put forward, uh, as County as Conservatives, our full platform on the on the first day of the campaign, 163 pages, which, which outlined uh, five key pillars on exactly that, Canada's recovery going forward. And I think there's, there's a lot of great ideas in there, and we look forward to bringing those forward to the next parliament and uh, working with uh, the other parties on some of those things. Things like mental health, which uh, was a, a crisis before the pandemic has only deepened since. Uh, you know, jobs, the economy, we, we, we need to make sure we uh, bring back the, uh, the million jobs that were lost over the course of the pandemic, but not just... Uh, in downtown Toronto and Vancouver, but in every region and every sector of the country. So there's there's a lot to do, and look forward to working with everyone to get that done. Federal Conservatives went from 121 seats uh, two years ago to 119 last night. Was was the vaccine issue a, a big stumbling block for your party? Okay, I, and so you've informed me of the final vote tally. I wasn't aware of that. Um, <laughs> well, I, that could change. I, I know. I know. I know. Was moving around last night. To, Last time I was looking at the numbers, but um, I, you know, I think we were very clear from the outset what our position was on that. But at the doors that that I talked to, people actually wanted to know. You know, these have been serious times, and they wanted to know: is there a serious plan and a serious leader to take those forward? And and you know, there was longer conversations at the doors this time than any election I've been involved in in the last thirty years. Because people actually wanted to know what it is that we proposed to do. So we ran a very positive campaign based on that platform based on, on talking about uh, jobs, the economy, mental health, uh, making sure our country's ready for the next uh, pandemic and next, next biological threat. And, uh, and that resonated with people. Dan, there's going to be a leadership review of Aaron O'Toole at some point. Should he retain his seat? You know, it's, it's, it's early, but, uh, but I think if we look back at, say, June, July, uh, Justin Trudeau was looking uh, towards a majority, a liberal majority government. He called an election in the middle of the fourth wave of the pandemic at a $600 million expense to Canadians, money that could have spent on all sorts of better things, so that he could get a majority government. He came up short and failed to do that. So, you know, Aaron O'Toole um, held us, you know, held, held, held the line, uh, pushed back against that, and uh, I think we should be proud of that result. We only got about 30 seconds. Do you anticipate doing this all over again in as little as two years? Well, average minority government is 18 months, so we'll. We'll prepare for that, but uh, in the meantime, there's there's a lot to do, and that's really what we're going to do. Dan, really appreciate the time. Congratulations once again, and we'll chat down the road. Thank you. Dan Muse is the conservative uh, MP-elect for Flamborough Glanbrook, joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton. How about some news and opinion to go with your coffee? This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. You are sending us back to work with a clear mandate to get Canada through this pandemic and to the brighter days ahead. Sunny days? Sunnier days? Sunny ways? Mm, I don't know. It's a little cloudy today, that's for sure. That's uh, Liberal Leader and Prime Minister-elect Justin Trudeau telling supporters in Montreal last night that voters have given him the clear path he needed to govern. I I, I don't know. I I think they had that already. Liberals going back to Parliament with basically what they had before, the 36-day federal election campaign, and that is a minority government. 
How do we feel about that? Well, let's ask our next guest. He is the chief political correspondent with Global News, David Aiken, and she joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. David, good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm tired because I went to bed at 2 and I got up <laughs> to talk, uh, talk politics, but it's a good tired, Rick. It's a good tired. It, it is a good tired. How much fun, let's start with this, how much fun did you have with the touchscreen during Global's broadcast of Decision Canada last night? Because it looked like you were having a blast. Uh, well, I, I do like these things, and I like to see what change sort of happens. And you know what? We still have some races that were counted today, so I'm going to be in front of the touchscreen all day because we have these mail-in ballots, 800,000 mail-in ballots, and the rules for those is they're not going to start counting them until 9 a.m. in a few minutes, 9 a.m. local everywhere in the country. Um, there's a few thousand in pretty much every riding, and they could make the difference in some races. I'm looking at uh, King Vaughn, north of Toronto, where our seniors minister, Deb Schultz, she is behind by about 1,500 votes to a conservative. So there's a minister that could lose, but there's 3,500 mail-in ballots. We're going to start to count them today, counting them, each one, open by hand, verified by hand, and then counted by hand. It's going to take time. They say they can process about 500 an hour. So there's 3,200 3, in uh, King Vaughn. So it could be you know the end of the day before we know who won there. The one thing is we've had provincial elections, you know what, five of them in this pandemic? And here's what we know about mail-in ballots. Conservative voters don't like them. They don't like mail-in ballots. They want to vote in person. But liberals and New Democrats don't mind mail-in. So if there's a pile of 3,200 mail-in ballots, as there is in King Vaughn, and the conservative is ahead by 1,300, I don't know that there's a lot of conservative ballots in that pile to be counted. So in a close race, the advantage might go to the liberal or New Democrat. We'll see what happens there. But I just mentioned that race, then there's... You know, as I said, there's probably about six or eight of those where we could have a different winner. It won't change the overall outlook, though, that it's a liberal minority, conservatives in opposition. You know, it looks very, it's Groundhog Day. It looks pretty much <laughs> just like it did two years ago. Very tight race in Hamilton Mountain uh, today as well, where the uh, liberal uh, challenger to the NDP's seat, although it is a new uh, MP-elect uh, potentially for the NDP, uh, just separated by 866 votes. So that mail-in count is really uh, could upend that vote as well, which will be I'm looking at it on my touchscreen as we speak. In fact, you're right, Lisa Hepner, the Liberal, ahead 866 votes over New Democrat Malcolm Allen. And he used to be the New Democrat MP for Niagara Centre, but now he's running on the mountain. There's 2,600 mail-in ballots. 2,600. Now, I mentioned the Conservatives don't like mail-in. NDP and Liberal do, so there's probably a pile of mail-ins for Allen. There's probably a pile of mail-ins for Hepner. We'll see. It's an 866-vote lead. We have not declared that elected yet because we got to wait for these mail-ins to find out who's, uh, who's king of the mountain. Now that we are back to square one, basically, in the House of Commons, is, is this whole thing going to put a stain on Prime Minister-elect Justin Trudeau? I think there's some leadership questions for both Trudeau and O'Toole, quite frankly. And O'Toole, when he gave his speech last night, he's a conservative leader, of course, Aaron O'Toole, when he gave his speech last night, he sounded like he was given another stump speech for the next election. In fact, he mentioned the next election five times. I think that was a warning shot to anybody who wants to come for his job to say, we got to get ready for an election right now, and he wants to fight for his job. Trudeau called this thing, wanted to get a majority. He blew, what, a 10, 15-point lead in the polls in just a month? Uh, his brand is not what it used to be. I think liberals won on the strength of being liberals. So there, I, I'm, I know there will be liberals in his caucus who are going, what the heck were you thinking calling this election in the middle of a fourth wave? Nobody wanted it. It was a naked power grab, and everybody saw it. 
Uh, you mentioned the knives already being out for Aaron O'Toole, and he was kind of uh, dulling those knives last night in his speech. Um, who else is out there, though, for the Conservatives? Well, that's the thing. You need, uh, you need a Brutus, I guess, uh, to put the knives in the back of Julius Caesar. Not sure who it is. Um, it, will it come from the socially conservative wing of the party? Because Aaron O'Toole did move the party to the, to the left, to the center, and I know that annoyed some people who, you know, full-throated uh, progressive conservatives. I think o- O'Toole, even though it, it's by and large the same overall result, he may point to Atlantic Canada, where that move to the moderate middle that actually, the Conservatives had a great night in Atlanta, Canada, relatively speaking. They knocked some liberals off, knocked off a, a minister in, uh, in, a, in a Nova Scotia riding, our fisheries minister. So how did they do that? They moved to the right. So does Aaron O'Toole want to continue that path? It did show a little bit of success in some regions. But still, uh, still here's the thing. If you take every riding in the country that ends in center, Hamilton Center, Toronto Center, Kitchener Center, Conservatives aren't winning those ridings. They're not winning downtown urban ridings. Um, And until they do that, I don't think they're going to see the big success that turns them into a government. Uh, we got about a minute left. When I say NDP, Bloc, PPC, Greens, what sticks out to you? Uh, NDP, I thought, would have a better night than they did. They didn't perform up to their polls. They only picked up a couple of seats. I think that's probably, for Jagmeet Singh, disappointing. The Bloc is still there, blocking the majority for the Liberals in Quebec. Uh, Greens, uh, the vote absolutely imploded. Annamie Paul, their leader, she finished fourth in the riding of Toronto Centre. Uh, terrible finish, terrible decision for her to run in Toronto Centre, which is an absolute uh, Liberal's fortress. So the Greens, there's another party for sure. they got leadership issues, and they'll be trying to figure out how to pull themselves on the ground. The PPC got twice as many votes as the Greens, but no seats. So we'll see. They, I think they wanted to get to 4%. They think they can get in some debates next time. But um, will they be motivated by the anti-maskers, the anti-vaxxers in two years or three? Remains to be seen, because that's sure what motivated them this time. Yeah, that's a good point. David, really appreciate the time. Uh, Hopefully you can get a nap later on today, but uh, uh, great job last night. Okay, thanks. Cheers. David Aiken, Chief Political Correspondent for Global News, joining us here to uh, put a bow on our election coverage. Serving up a healthy dose of news, traffic, and engaging opinion. This is Good Morning Hamilton with Rick Zamperin on 900 CHML. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Zamperin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.